This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett's status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Uh, Earnings season continues on, and I feel like we haven't taken a breath. Nope. Content continues. (laughs) Earnings season continues. Market never sleeps between the hours of 10 and 4 p.m. here in Australia. Sure. <laughs> so it does sleep. That's <laughs> no, great. I feel like we're learning so much about individual companies, about the state of the economy, about the ability of our content team to be able to keep up. <laughs> yes. But it's a funny one because the market has had a good month. It has had a good month. Yeah. Some companies have had a great month. Here's some stats for you. Uh, the S&P 500 was down 23%. It's now only down 13% mm. for the year. Uh, the Dow was down 18%. It's now down 9.7% for the year. Yeah. Are we out of the woods? No. Is it only blue sh- blue skies and rainbows ahead? Could be. I'm not a forecaster, Ren. True. All right. Well, we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about uh, what we've learned from earnings season. We're going to take a look uh, here in Australia and talk about some of the biggest movements here. And we've got... Uh, Michael Frazis, a fund manager, joining us today. A massive episode today. That's it. Really excited to hear from Michael about what he thinks uh, is going on in in the markets. And if you're unfamiliar with Michael, make sure you listen to some of our previous episodes with him. Incredibly intelligent guy. And if you're wondering uh, what it's like to invest in life sciences, that's his area, one of his areas of expertise. But um, we'll hear from him later in this episode. Just a reminder before we start, we're not experts. We're not fin- financial professionals. We are not licensed. We are here learning just like you and nothing on this podcast should be taken as advice. So let's kick in with a market wrap just like we did last week. Plenty going on. So Ren, you've touched on the bounce that we've seen on the S&P and the Dow, um, halving some of their losses. And Ren, the earnings season is arguably one of the biggest contributors to this bounce. What we thought would could be a really rocky earnings mm. season is turning out, in some instances, for some companies to be to be the opposite, reporting incredibly 
uh, good growth numbers and stories. Yeah, and there are some companies that aren't and we'll get to them, but let's start with the two companies that really took the market's breath away this week. Is that too much to say? Potentially. Uh, Well, let's talk about it. (laughs) The sharing economy stocks, Uber and Airbnb, they've always been lumped together. They were founded within a year of each other. They rode those same technological waves to get to where they are. They're the sharing economy bellwethers and pioneers. And as if they wanted to be spoken about in the same breath, they decided to report on the same day. Yeah, well played. What did they report? So Uber, uh, revenue up 105% year on year. Now we obviously know a year ago where where most of the world was in some form of a lockdown or... The fascinating wrinkle in that number, Mm -hmm. Uber Eats was up. Just. 7%. Yeah. Is that not fascinating? I don't know, is it? Like Give, Uber, given where we were Uber last Eats, year. Uber Eats, one of the hottest, uh, w- one of the biggest winners from COVID and lockdown. Everyone was at home. Everyone was ordering. But even they managed to eke out a some growth. Yeah. Obviously, this 105% year-on-year growth is mainly driven by trips, as yeah. you said. Yeah. But I found it fascinating that they still grew Uber Eats. Yeah. I certainly Habits have, been have or- stayed. I certainly have been ordering less. Have you? Less. Yeah. Not none. Less. <laughs> First quarter of positive free cash flow in history for Uber. They did still post a net loss though of $2.6 billion. However, the share price responded 19% up on the day of, rec- of uh, reporting. So seeing that positive ca- cash flow is a good sign for investors. If people are wondering how do they report positive cash flow but a $2.6 billion net loss, a lot of the loss was driven by some of their investments, investments in Grab, investments in Rivian and one other investment that I can't remember all down. And we've really got to give Uber CEO Dara Koshawahi some credit here. Uh, he said they were going to focus on profitability. I think he said they would take 12 months to deliver positive free cash flow. They did it in three. Nice one, Dara. Yeah. He's done it. Yeah, well, it is good to see. I think they've burnt something like $25 billion of investor money. <laughs> they have, yeah. <laughs> so so it, it, is, it is good to see that they've uh, righted the ship somewhat in the last three months. But the other company in, uh, in the sharing economy ran Airbnb, one that we spoke about I would add on the show. We could go back on our notes maybe four weeks ago and did call that it could be coming for a good earnings season. Uh, is but Airbnb. nothing on this show is advice. So <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, and their n- revenue, Airbnb, up fifty eight percent, one hundred and three million bookings uh, across the site, and that came in at a gross value of seventeen billion dollars, up twenty seven percent. They are profitable, three hundred seventy five million dollars of profit, and they are back above pre pandemic levels. $379 million even. What did I say? You shortchanged them $4 million. Jeez. And these sharing economy stocks <laughs> need every dollar. <laughs> Can't read. But I just love it. They're back above pre-pandemic. Yeah. The world is back. Can I give a shout out to the CEOs and investor relation teams that are doing three-year comps, that are doing year-on-year comps and then also doing a 2019 comp to give us a, like an idea of how they measure up pre-pandemic. That, it's just very helpful. Yeah, well, you've got to sell the story, Ren. If they but weren't doing that, true, then, then you would you'd put be it like, in. what yeah, are you guys yeah, yeah. doing? It's all about the story. You've got to sell the story. But some companies are, some companies aren't, and I think it's just it's a nice nod to we recognise that some We could of these, do 10-year comps. Well, no, it's just <laughs> nodding to the give us a pre-pandemic comp. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so the sharing economy stocks are good. Uh, they're looking like things are good in the sharing economy. Whether they will continue to be good is a question that only 
you as an investor doing your own research can answer. <laughs> but let's talk about Heineken, Bryce, because you have been telling me that your Heineken budget is through <laughs> the roof. You've been buying plenty of beers. Wrong. Uh, I have been buying plenty of beers. <laughs> I actually went out for dinner the other night and ordered a Heineken. Don't, yes, don't come at me though. There weren't many beers on the menu. Ordered a Heineken, got a Corona. You're actually at that dinner. I, was, I, I did the <laughs> yeah, same you thing. You did the same <laughs> thing. But you know anyway. what, Bryce? We're not alone ordering um, Heineken's while out because they reported a 37% jump in revenue and a 22% jump in profit. Things are good from the Dutch beer maker? Yeah, not unsure. Um, but the reason they are seeing these numbers, Ren, is a recovery of bars in Asia and Europe, which is surprising because it felt like Europe never really shut down a lot of their bars compared to some other countries. But uh, profit is ahead of 2019 again, pressure, cost pressure coming. So yeah. that was part of their forecast. Ren, tell me what's happened with Apple. Yeah, so this happened late last week, but after we recorded, revenue up 2%, $83 billion of revenue in a quarter. How do you like that? <laughs> The two things that everyone looks at in that revenue number, iPhone sales yep. up 3% to $41 billion. Mm -hmm. Quick math there. iPhone sales about half of their revenue. Okay. Yeah, and they're not a computer company anymore. They're a phone company. Services revenue. Mm. Now, this is the category that everyone's looking at. Can Apple build recurring revenue streams from things like Apple TV and Apple Music? Yes. And, and are you just answering that question? Yeah. Well, it's up 12% to $20 billion. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so about a quarter of their revenue is now from services, a, a business that they've been working really hard to build but wasn't really a thing, call it, five years, ten years ago. So that's really impressive. Yeah. But again, $41 billion, $20 billion, three quarters of their revenue is from those two categories. So your, you, the Mac, new MacBook you bought in the quarter didn't really add a lot. For didn't them. add a lot. Uh, profit down 11% though. So this is a trend that we're seeing across the board this earnings season. Revenue up, profit down. What does that mean, Bryce? Revenue up, profit down, costs. Higher costs. Higher costs coming through. Nice. And you've got here, Ren, share price fell 29% from high. Yeah, so this wasn't related to earnings season, but this is just – so Apple fell 29% this year and then it's re recovered about 25%. It's only down 10% from its highs. Wow. I'm kicking myself that I didn't buy. Mm, <laughs> yeah. mm. Wiped almost a trillion dollars from its value after yeah. the initial 30% fall. It's just like, did we miss the opportunity? Nah, there's always opportunities, Ren. Love That's that. just how you look at it. Well, tell me about another company. <laughs> <laughs> this is not an opportunity, but we'll keep going. Nintendo, sales of $2.3 down 4.7% on the previous quarter. Profit also down 15% to $762 million. Biggest driver for this was sales of their Switch unit. Now, I'm not a massive gamer, but this their unit uh, is down 22%. However, Nintendo, quote, uh, demand is stable. So, mm. so we said we weren't only going to talk about good reports. I think this one qualifies as a report that perhaps not the so good. Yeah. Now, Bryce, I want to break up these earnings seasons because we've got so many companies coming through. Yeah. Uh, the next two companies, their earnings were pretty you know, par for the course, okay. Starbucks and Yum Brands. Instead of giving the results, I just want to ask you a question about each of them. Okay. Starbucks, mm -hmm. coffee chain, you know it well. You get your coffee from there every morning. Not true. Uh, interesting note in their earnings. What do you think contributed more to revenue, hot drinks or cold drinks? Cold. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> cold beverages accounted for three quarters of American sales in the quarter. 
three quarters. Yes, it's summer over there, I guess. Still, <laughs> do, do you switch to cold coffee in summer? No, nah, but it would be all the frappes and all those iced coffees and well, the yeah, I know, things I know, with ice, yeah, yeah. things with ice in them. <laughs> I know what the cold drinks are, but three quarters. Yeah, it's a fair bit, isn't it? It's a chunk. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, found that as an interesting note. Overall, not a super interesting report for Starbucks. They did, I think they saw globally about 3% same-store sales growth. It's a company just that just keeps grinding on, keep ticking upwards. Uh, Yum Brands. So for people unfamiliar with Yum Brands, they own uh, KFC, Taco Bell and Pizza Hut, three global brands. Yeah. They're trying Taco Bell again in Australia. Have Give you noticed up. It that? It was awful. They've tried it so many times, but they're going again. Anyway, full credit. You've got to keep trying. That's You've got to be optimistic in business. Mixed report for them. Of those three major brands, Pizza Hut, KFC, Taco Bell, two reported same-store sales down and one reported same-store sales up. KFC up and Pizza Hut, Taco Bell down. No. Oh. KFC, same store sales globally down 1%. Pizza Hut, same store sales globally down 3%, leaving Taco, Taco Bell. Bell, same store sales up 8%. Wow, well played. I do not like Taco Bell based on what they served up here in Australia, <laughs> Ren, but let's keep moving. Moderna, vaccine company up 15%. Uh, beat expectations on revenue and earnings. Their revenue uh, of $4.75 billion was up 9% year on year. Uh, same story as what we're seeing across the board in uh, is profit down though, 21%, $2.2 billion, but margins are very strong. They're yeah. also doing a $3 billion buyback. Just do that quick math. Profit down 21%, so increasing costs there. Revenue of 4.7, profit of 22 yeah, your juicy. profit margin is almost fifty percent. Yeah, that's Give unlike us the vaccines for free. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Robin Hood now one of the hottest stocks during COVID. Retail investors jumping on the bandwagon, uh, using that platform in a big way. But the story here, Ren, is absolute staff layoffs. Yeah, so they, keep up. they announced a 9% staff layoff earlier this year. Uh, this earnings season this week, they reported a 23% staff layoff. They're laying off almost a quarter of their staff just this round. But the share price was up 15%. And that's because investors love the fact that Robinhood's focusing on becoming profitable. That story is playing out over and over again around the world. Unprofitable companies that are taking the necessary steps to focus on profitability are being rewarded by shareholders. Zip in Australia is another example uh, where, where that really comes to mind. Uh, Robinhood announced a net loss of $295 million for the quarter. So they've got a bit of growing while cutting costs to, to get to that profitable mm. number. But I think the commentary from Robinhood uh, CEO is, is commentary that we've heard echoed throughout this earnings season. A lot of companies thought that the pandemic would bring forward demand. And, you know, for Robinhood, it would bring a lot of retail investors into the market for Amazon and Shopify. It would bring forward a lot of changing customer habits to online shopping rather than offline shopping. That thesis was wrong. What we're saying is it didn't bring forward a lot of demand. It just had, it was a transitory spike in demand. And Amazon overbuilt, Robinhood overhired, Shopify overhired, Peloton yeah, absolutely. Based their whole Bombed business it. around it. <laughs> I, I think what we're seeing is uh, in 2020, a lot of people were talking about, yeah, it cha permanent changes as a result of COVID. And what we're seeing is 
where a lot of people are reverting back to pre-COVID habits and, you know, companies that were banking, literally banking on those changes being permanent um, are now having to course correct. Amazon's having to cut costs. Robinhood's having to, Robinhood and Shopify are having to lay off staff. That's commentary that seems to be repeated a lot in different geographies across different companies that um, we've got to course correct and companies that are taking the necessary steps to course correct are getting rewarded. Mm, mm. So Bryce, heaps more results coming in. Uh, we are running short on time. So head to our Instagram. We're covering heaps more. A few data points just to close it out before we move to Australia. Bespoke, the fund manager, uh, they had this data set. So the NASDAQ was up 4% one day last week. But Bespoke found that 48% of all 4% days in the NASDAQ's history occurred on the way down between 2000 and 2002. There are a number of um, false breakouts, dead cat bounces, whatever you want to call them there. So that's a watch out. I guess it's 50-50. No, no, no. Just 4% in that drawdown. Okay. Uh, it's forty eight percent in that drawdown. Okay. So it's basically the the conclusion is the biggest down days, but also the biggest up days Mm-mm. happened during a downturn. Okay. So that's one thing just to watch out. There might still be a bear out there. The second thing is small caps are absolutely beating expectations. Seventy four percent of small caps that have reported so far. This is according to RBC Capital Markets. Seventy four percent, three and four have beaten estimates for revenue and 71% have beat estimates for profit, which is uh, a record for revenue and near a record for profit. Well played. Pretty Small good. caps, yeah. yeah. It's also because expectations are just... So low, so grim. Yeah, you should yeah, check yeah. out. I'll have a look at this small cap index actually. All right, nice. Well, Ren, that's a, a wrap of global earnings. As we said, check out our Instagram, which has plenty more uh, earnings analysis each day as they come out. <laughs> But Ren, let's move to the ASX here in Australia. Now, the ASX share market game is back up and running. This segment is applicable to those playing, but also those not, as we're going to take a look at some of the movers and shakers on our home market. Uh, you can register for the, the game. It closes on the 13th of October. The game starts 11th of August and finishes on the 24th of November. Plenty of prizes up for grabs. First prize, 2000, second, 1500, and third, 1000. There's a new prize this year as well for the University Best Individual Portfolio Prize. If you're a university student, you can win $1,000 if your portfolio outperforms all other uni students. There's a resources page, visit asx.com.au and we'll put a link to the game in our show notes. I know that there's uh, members of the Equitymates community also playing. Head to our Facebook community group to find out details on how you can join them. But Ren, let's have a look at what is happening here on the local market because there's been some interesting developments with one of the hottest stocks or coldest, depending which way you look at it. Yes, yes. That is zip. But before we do that, we're just going to be looking at the ASX 300 here. Yeah. So uh, we had a look uh, at marketindex.com.au. The smallest company in the ASX 300, according to Market Index, has a market cap of about 250 million bucks. Okay. Have a guess what it is. Oh, sorry, sorry. I'll tell you its name. Have a guess what it does. Five Finch Limited, FFX. Mining. A Mali-focused gold miner. Nice. Australians love mining. (laughs) Um, When we filtered on uh, the ASX 300 and looked at the biggest movers for the last month, you're right, one name sat above the rest and that was Zip. Zip pays. Zip Co. Limited. The ticket is Z1. No, they changed changed it. it. Z-I-P. 
Now, look, it's... Um, That's it, not the reason for the uptrend, but it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt. It didn't hurt. <laughs> I have no idea. So, unfortunately, it has, uh, it's been on an absolute roller coaster. Hit highs of about 14 bucks. Subsequently has sunk to, I think, a low of about 45 cents. It's coming back a bit. Why? A bit. Uh, a bit. It is up 123% in the last month. It's up over 200% in like the last six or seven weeks. So it's on a bit of a tear. Uh, that they are on the path to profitability. They were in talks for a merger or buying another buy now pay later company here in Australia called Sezzle. They no longer are going through with that and focusing on some of their more core products and getting the company to a profitable point. Yeah, now, that's they, why it's it's ripping a little because the share uh, shareholders think that that's probably a better idea than spending money on buying another buy now pay later. Mm, they were going to spend stock, not money, but still, yeah. still costs. Um, we spoke about it with Robinhood. Zip, they closed operations in Singapore. They closed Pocketbook, which was another app that they own. Um, and the market has loved that. A few of the other big movers, uh, Megaport up six, almost 60% in the last month. You were saying off mic before that you feel like Megaport is one of those trendy stocks. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to give any sort of uh, indication of buy, holds or sells, but um, it has a, a lot of noise in our community. Yep. Yeah. EML payments on the are down almost 20%. Uh, that one gets a fair bit of buzz in the community. But for, from memory, I think it's had a real a real run and now this is just a bit of a pullback. Yeah. For those that are uh, unsure what Megaport- That's wrong. AML's down 70% for the year, <laughs> in the past year. <laughs> there you go. So some of these companies really, um, really busting. But it's interesting, yeah, so the past month we've got a spread of 120% for Zip up and then Life360 Inc. is up 53%. So they're the biggest movers. What about losers- Getting a bit of a throwback here because one of the first companies we spoke about when we started Equity Mates was AAC, Australian Agricultural Company. It's appeared in one of the biggest uh, losers for the month. But yeah, just getting a bit of a throwback there. We spoke about it 2017. Yeah. Still yeah. kicking around. I think what is it up? Is it is it up since we spoke about it's it? It's up about twenty five percent. But okay, we, we obviously okay. didn't we don't make no any no, no, no. recommendations. We just, we just here. touched on it. We just were learning about companies. Um I think it had just listed or something. The uh, thesis was China from memory. Beef, yeah, beef yeah, demand or something. Beef, yeah. yeah. Anyway. It owns roughly 1% of Australian land mass. Wow. There you yeah. go. That's pretty interesting. Anyway, but, so uh, that's that was the when we filtered on the top 300 companies. Yeah. We then filtered on the top 200 companies. Now, according to Market Index, the smallest company in the ASX 200 is called Grange Resources, which kind of gives it away. Uh, but what do you think it does? Mining. Well, it owns and operates one of Australia's largest integrated iron ore mining and pellet production businesses. So yeah, mining and then using that mineral, using those resources. Again, the Australian theme comes through. Yes, yes. <laughs> but when we filtered on the ASX 200 rather than the ASX 300, the first big takeaway is there's not a lot of overlap which really is an indication of how much more volatility there is in that 200 to 300 yeah. bracket, Yeah. which obviously we're not going to give you advice on the game, but if you're playing a short-term game, you've got 12 weeks to try and win this thing, you probably want to lean into volatility. Yeah. CBA isn't going to win you the game. No. You can take that as advice because we're talking about the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more, Ren, that uh, bottom 100 is 
might provide you a little bit more opportunity. Keep in mind, though, it does go the other way. Looking yeah. at how, <laughs> <laughs> looking at how some of the companies in the bottom one hundred have uh, fallen compared to the falls of the top two hundred, it is starkly different. So let's let's take a look at that. Some of the biggest movers for the top two hundred over the past month. The biggest winner was MedLab Clinical. They're up sixty two percent. A few names that caught my eye: Pinnacle Investment. Yeah. yeah. Up 42%. Whitehaven Coal. Coal has had a good run. Absolutely run. And WiseTech Global up 32%. We'll have we'll touch on them in a moment. Continue to uh, outperform some of the uh, Australian tech stocks. But in uh, the, on the other side, ran some of the losers. Uh, Coronado Global Resources. Grain Corp. Tab Corp's down 7%. Webjet, despite everything that's going on in travel, is down 5% for the month. Yeah, I think you just have to be really mindful about the month-long timeline because it just can really obscure the story. Like mm. Grain Corp, second biggest loser in the um, ASX 200, down 11% in a month. And yet over the past 12 months, it's up 43%. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So it's just it's just being mindful of like the timeline that you're playing in. And in this ASX invested game, you've got 12 weeks. And so you've got to be relatively short term. But yeah, I, I imagine if we look at Webjet, it's probably done all right with the reopening trade and it's just come off a little bit. Well, I'm actually looking at Webjet, not year to date, but last 12 months it's flat. It's, it's gone through everything. Roller, yeah. co- roller coaster up, bang down. Jeez, it's choppy, isn't it? <laughs> it's just unbelievable. It's slowly clawing its way back from um, the bottom of the pandemic. But anyways, let's, have, let's chat about some of the key takeaways from this, Ren, so that those who are playing the game might have something to think about as they enter and those that aren't can still have some action and some uh, some talking points as well. <laughs> some talking points. Can we kept up to date with what's talks. going on? Uh, so we spoke about Zip. We don't need to do that again. We spoke about the 200 and the 300 and where the volatility is. My uh, The third takeaway from me, WiseTech. Mm, tell remember, me about it. Do you remember a couple of years ago we spoke about the WAX stocks? Yeah. W-A-A-A-X. Yeah. And it was Australia's answer to FANG. Yeah. WiseTech, Appen, Afterpay was in there. Altium and then zero. Now, Bryce, you listed those five. Here's how they've gone in the last 12 months. WiseTech up 61%. Now, Afterpay got acquired by Block. Block is down 67% in New York. It's down 34% in Australia because of the strength of the US dollar. Appen down 67%. Altium down 11%. Zero down 34%. One of these things is not like the other. Zero. What? <laughs> <laughs> Zero is not like the other. Yeah, WiseTech, absolutely outperforming. Yeah. Killing, killing it. Absolutely killing it. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we can get Richard White on the show as part of our ASX CEO Connect series. If you're listening, Richard, we'd love to have you on uh, to talk through it. But, um, yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, shout out to Alex Eagles, someone I went to school with who works at WiseTech and I caught up with at our 10-year reunion recently. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And Ren, Cole goes both ways. Another takeaway. Cole does go both ways. We said Whitehaven Cole was up 35%, one of the biggest movers on the upside. Cornado Global, uh, the biggest loser in the ASX 200, mm. also a coal company. There you go. What's the difference? Management. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea, do you? I think just different companies. I think Cornado does um, coking coal that's okay. used to create steel yep. and I think Whitehaven probably does the one that's used to create energy. So maybe there's maybe there's that, but that is complete conjecture with no research to back it up. But, hey, that, that do your own research. <laughs> that's how you, yeah, that's how you play the game. Fast so and if loose. You, so if you're interested in playing the ASX share market game, 
you can head to asx.com.au or there'll be information in our show notes. Now, before we jump into our conversation with Michael Frazis to get his views on the current state of the market, how he's deploying capital, uh, we are just going to take a quick break. But remember, tickets to FinFest are available, equitymates.com slash FinFest. Michael will be joining us at FinFest, so make sure you jump on. They're only $47 and you'll hear from some of Australia's best experts uh, so we can't wait. It's coming up hot. Tickets are selling fast. We're getting a merch bag together for the first 1,500 people that walk through the door. There's plenty of opportunities to win. I think one of the sponsors on the day is going to be giving away uh, an internship, Ren. Uh, one of the sponsors. One is, another one's going to be giving away a $10,000 portfolio. $10,000. You take por- the internship, I'll take the portfolio. <laughs> one of them's giving away a $10,000 portfolio. That's right. So there's going to be so much stuff happening on the day. We cannot wait to see you there. And we're going to be chatting to Michael Frazis straight after this break. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, so as we said at the top of the episode, we're really excited to get a, uh, a friend of the show back on who we haven't had for a while, and that is Michael Frazis, the uh, founder of Frazis Capital Partners. Michael, welcome back. Hi, Bryce. Thanks so much for having me back on. It's been a while since we chatted um, chatted with you, and since then, markets have done some pretty crazy things, and uh, we're, we're going to spend the next 15 or 20 minutes getting an understanding of how you're thinking about uh, all things growth stocks, really, because that's been your jam for the last couple of years or so. So let's start with the current state of the market. How, how, what is your assessment? What is the assessment? Well, I think um, in small cap growth and life sciences where we play, it's really been one of the kind of toughest environments, you know, in the last several decades. Obviously, there's many ways to value growth stocks. One way you can value, you know, stocks in general is just the number of companies that are trading, you know, below cash on their balance sheet. And at the lows, which is only only kind of four or five weeks ago, that number exceeded the peak of the GFC and the, the very end of the bear market from 2000, 2002, 2003. It wasn't like kind of an October, like a 2008 moment. It was literally the low in March 2009. And in terms of companies trading for less than cash, we exceeded that. So there's a huge amount of distress. Obviously, it didn't hit all corners of the market the same way. Some industries, obviously energy, commodities, old school industrials, you know, had the best years they've had in a very long time after a long period of underinvestment. But in our corner of the market, it was basically almost as bad as it's ever been on record. So that obviously made it challenging, but also meant there's there was plenty of opportunity. And it remains to be seen if, if that moment has now passed. You know, things have rallied pretty hard from those lows. My personal view is I, I know both anecdotally and from everybody in the industry I know, as well as statistically based on, you know, prime broker data, 
everybody kind of went max short, max underweight technology and growth. It was not really acceptable for, for a professional manager to kind of admit they own these kinds of stocks. And it really swung. It was a very sharp swing. So usually these things take two years, but it really swung from ultra high vows and ultra high optimism to kind of ultra low. So it's kind of like in November last year. And for us, it's really started kind of six months before that. Um, along with other growth funds like Art. But really, I guess everybody ran all the way to one side of the boat and probably way too far. The boat tipped, almost tipped over, and now everybody's rushed all the way to the other side of the boat. And now it just seems to be stabilizing just a little bit, but everybody's still kind of extremely bearish. So that's a pretty good setup actually for, for our space. It's a fascinating uh, moment that we're in because uh, obviously the the sell, everyone sort of lived through the sell-off and got so bearish, but the last call it month. Uh, we've seen things uh, rebound a little bit. Uh, the Dow in the US was down 18%. It's now only down nine and a bit percent for the year. The S&P 500 was down 23%. It's now only down 13% for the year. So some of the some of those names are coming back a little bit. But I guess the, the question on everyone's lips is, uh, is this the start of a recovery or is this a a, a dead cat bounce. So I know it's an impossible question to answer, Michael. No one knows where the market's going to go, but what are your thoughts around that question? Look, I think you break these down into things, into a few factors that kind of can give you a guide. So it's probably like positioning, valuations, sentiment, um, and I guess the actions of the of central bankers um, and, and liquidity. And so one thing we got, or one thing I've got very wrong was after the big sell-off in January and February, where things actually, things are not actually that far in our space below after this big rally. Uh, but I actually thought, thought that was more likely to be a low because sentiment, um, positioning, all those things uh, and vowels, all those things swung all the way to the extremes that typically mark lows and vowels maybe, you know, hit where things were at the peak of COVID. So to me, the, the combination of those things, was a clear buy signal. As it turns out, you know, there was another significant leg down. Um, there was a Ukrainian war, sorry, the war in, in, in Ukraine, um, energy prices spiraled out of control. Federal Reserve came out an extremely aggressive, fastest tightening in 40 years. And that caused another leg down where, you know, a lot of things we own like halved in, in the three months after that. So anything I say about the market direction, take with a grain of salt. Having <laughs> <laughs> got that one so wrong. But now, you know, those, those, those factors are still there. They're actually more extreme. So Val's legged it down, not to kind of Lehman Brothers crash, but kind of like the low in March 2009. You know, all those positioning, momentum, sentiment, all those things actually pushed to new depths. And, and that was the case in mid-June. That doesn't mean there's going to be a recovery, but like all the ingredients are there. And, you know, you can whether you measure by full bear readings, by cash on fund manager balance sheets, um, or just broader sentiment, what you're hearing in the market, you know, everybody is underweight growth in technology and is going to get caught so offside if technology continues to rally. And I think that's what you saw last night. Apparently from the prime broker desks, you know, people, the, the buy orders of their sales were kind of four or five to one. Um, and people recognizing, you know, tech, after the last tech crash, tech rally from say 2002, 2003 to 2018, really, almost unbroken. And then you could argue that it went all the way to November 21. Fund performance was basically dependent on how much you allocated to those leading technology companies. Um, you could almost like rank funds according to, you know, their, their exposure to that. Now in this rare situation where funds are max underweight technology, and I think there'll be plenty of people who are wondering, um, want to be really careful to make sure they're not the wrong side of another five or 10 year bull market. And all those ingredients are for that are basically in place now. Well, with that in mind, Michael, how, how do you think about 
getting back into markets at this point in time, if you're sort of suggesting that there's a probability that there could be another bull for five or 10 years, you know, is it something that if you don't get in now, you miss out? Like, how do you think about redeploying? Well, I wish I had that problem because we wrote it the whole way down. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't actually sell down and sit on a pile of cash, sadly. Um, so plenty to reflect on on, on that. There's phenomenal companies that trade incredibly cheaply. So I'll give some examples. Um, Mercado Libra just reported last night. This is the number one e-commerce platform, fintech platform in South America. It's growing top line at 58%. Um, it's profitable. It's increased. It peaked in Jan, Feb 21, um, which was roughly in line with a lot of growth stocks, including our fund, um, and then sold off 70%. Now, since that top, uh, it's increased in size by two and a half times. It's increased in profitability, and it's a clear dominant market leader. It's just executing at massive scale. At the low, which was recently, which was like right at the end of last month, which wasn't exactly great news for me on financial and my investors on financial year reporting. But at that point, it was on a on a sales EV sales. This company's been around for a long time. At that point, on an EV sales basis, anyway, it reached the depths of March two thousand and nine. And this is a company that just reported, you know, fifty eight percent top line. So there's this huge disparity in my sector. Again, it's not the whole market, but it's very much the corners of the market, the small mid cap growth life sciences that we play in. Everything has gone all the way to two thousand nine, two thousand two, two thousand three levels or beyond in the sense that they're trading way below cash. Um, there's plenty of companies trading way below cash, but the companies themselves, a lot of them, are still doing very well. I think it probably does make sense to wade in and start with the highest quality, fast-growing companies that are down 60%, 70%. You know, it's it's like that famous Amazon runner where Jeff Bezos wrote after after the tech crash originally. You know, he just he just listed all their achievements. They're still growing. They're still, you know, adding users, adding revenues. So you could probably say the same across, across a lot of the good tech companies that survived that crash. You know, they're delivering on fundamentals. So if you can find an amazing world-class company that is continuing to deliver exceptional growth, exceptional fundamental performance, is down 60 to 70% of the last one and a half years, um, and is trading cheaper than it probably ever has before, you know, the, the mix of all those things is pretty positive. Yeah, but I kind of envy anybody that's managed to sit on a massive pile of cash throughout this. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a learning. <laughs> yeah, well, we, um, we spoke to Nick Griffin from Munro last week and he went to 40% cash in, I think, January and Bryce and I were both quite jealous of that because similar to you, Michael, we've, uh, we've written it down and mm. hopefully writing it back up. Something interesting that he was saying, because uh, in sort of 2020, 2021, he was investing in a number of these high growth, um, sometimes unprofitable companies as well, you know, the Spotify's of the world. Um, but he, he was saying that coming out of this, um, this sell-off, he's, he's looking at slightly different names. He's looking at more the mega cap tech names who are looking kind of cheap at the moment, you know, maybe trading at like a 20 times PE. Are you changing your focus at all in terms of the companies you're, uh, you're looking or maybe is your investable universe broadening at a time like this? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of aspects to that. So they're very different, very different styles. So big cap tech, largely we have, we can do. Um, I think ultimately like we just have to have some exposure to some of those names because every time there's a crash, and you know, we've had, I launched this fund mid 2018 at the top then, and there was that big sell off immediately, then rally, then COVID crash, then, you know, 10 month rally, then one and a half year down. So like kind of this whole funds basically seems to, feels like it's been in a kind of bear market. But whenever that happens, there's this huge flight within tech, you know, to larger companies and being on the wrong end of that is going to be pretty painful. But like I think, I think, I think that's not really where the opportunity is now. 
Like you could buy something like Google or Microsoft, absolute monsters. Google, obviously, a little bit more cyclical. Microsoft, you know, just going from strength to strength across so many different verticals. Like they're absolutely extremely high quality businesses, not expensive. But that's probably not where the best investment return opportunity is, potentially even on a risk-adjusted basis. So right now you've got, for example, um, like in June, you had multiple companies with FDA approval trading for less than the cash on their balance sheets. So you know these companies are going to succeed. Um, and it's certainly worth something. In normal times, they would, if they fail the trial, if Biotech fails the trial, it trades roughly down to cash and stays there. The distress got so bad in the last few months that prices crashed way straight through that, irrespective of basically whether the company um, was delivering or not. We've added, I think we've got three companies that, that fit that bucket that were trading for less than cash and have either imminent or already FDA approval in life sciences. What else is interesting? I think there's a within software, there's a pretty big disparity between five or six high-flying names that are still very expensive, like Datadog, CrowdStrike. You know, these are MongoDB. They're very high-quality growth in the sense that it's extremely likely that, um, but we have a very high degree of certainty that growth is going to come through. But they're not. They didn't get bombed out like a few other companies. And then you've got companies that are kind of more junior that traded. You know, they didn't go from 30 times to 15 times sales and from 30 times to four or five times sales. These are loss-making companies, obviously, but they are building these revenue streams. The revenues per user are growing, um, and we know what these software companies look like at scale. So the other part of opportunities, I don't think you need to go to unprofitable tech to get the returns on a rebound that people might be hoping for. Actually, a funny one that we bought the other day is... Crocs. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah. So it's kind of like um, it's sold off the similarly, similarly to um, similar to growth stocks. You know, down 70 percent. Uh, it did an acquisition, which is always risky because you never know if the insight sold. It's like kind of they bought like a casual shoe company, so who knows? Maybe they sold that at the right time and that was at peak sales, and maybe Crocs themselves are at peak sales um, based on the excess cash that everybody had last year. So that, that's kind of like there are risks involved. You've also got a company growing. You know, when we bought it, it was like a P of five, you know, 15% forward free cash flow yield. Long history of buying back shares. Going to be paying down debt for the next year, but we'll then switch back on buybacks perhaps mid next year. So that's like an example, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend anyone to go rush out and buy it, but that's an example of a stock that's extremely profitable, that's had that small cap, mid cap growth move, but you don't need to watch, you just value it as conventionally as you, as you could possibly want. Also, apparently, a lot of people seem to be waiting in these days. Yeah, they're back. They're getting back. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So apparently, what they did is they slashed all the conventional marketing and then um, invested heavily in influencers and in collaborations. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. collaborations with Balenciaga and all that kind of stuff, yeah. and practical for nurses, for artists. Yeah, they've become quite um, back in vogue. Yeah, we need an influencer-led campaign to listen to our podcast. <laughs> you two are the influencers. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. You're we're the not. famous people. Uh, no, well, then, no. then we need the Crocs deal. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, before we just uh, close out, Michael, we're really excited that you'll be joining us at FinFest, uh, which our audience are, are now well versed in. And uh, for those in the Equity Mates community who haven't yet bought tickets, equitymates.com/slash FinFest to grab a ticket. They're only $47 and you'll get the opportunity to listen not only to to Michael share his thoughts and words of wisdoms, but plenty of other experts from around Australia. So Saturday, 15th of October, we're really excited to um, to add Michael to the to the list of speakers there on the day. And, and thank you, Michael, obviously, for for supporting Equity Mates and, and FinFest. Um, we really appreciate you uh, you taking out a Saturday to, to do that. 
But um, look, it's obviously a really interesting time in markets. And if you were to sort of pass on some closing thoughts to those retail investors out there who may or may not be sitting on some cash, wondering what to do, um, perhaps maybe if you could just, yeah, pass on some closing thoughts. Um, I'm really reluctant to give a market call having <laughs> done of course <laughs> unsuccessfully. But I reckon if you buy if you buy extremely high quality fast growing companies that are down significantly trading at you know all time lows or or just coming off them, I don't think there's much more you could ask for when it comes to investing. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, great. yeah, that's kind of the situation we're in today. Some great opportunities out there, and I think you know we're trying to do our best to keep people excited about the markets at the moment. Um, it is it's one of those times where we'll look back, and if we haven't been able to take advantage of the opportunities out there now, we might be kicking ourselves. We'll be kicking ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So, well, do you know what's funny? Yeah, it's like every every market bottom, every single one. Nobody believes it's a bottom at the time. And then yeah. you swear to yourself that you will not make the same mistake again. And we finally, we finally got there in June. Like even in June, I was like, I've given up hope. <laughs> you know, it's just going down. Everything's going down to zero. You know, like that, that was like what I was feeling. And I'm like usually extremely optimistic. So if I was feeling that, who knows what everybody else was feeling. But it's funny, like if, if markets did bottom, that will have caught almost everybody I know by surprise. Mm. I don't know. There were a lot of people who got quite aggressive on the long side in COVID. I can't think of anybody that springs to mind that was buying hay, um, you know, in the last couple of months, but I guess we'll find out. It's like, if there's a long rally, everyone will come out with the stories of what they bought at the lows and things like that. Yeah, yeah classic. True, classic. true. Mm. They'll never tell you. Yeah. Anyway, it's interesting times. <laughs> it's interesting times. Uh-huh. Uh, and all you can do is just keep learning and, and learning from your, from past experience, I think. And uh, it's speaking to people like you who help us do that. So Michael, thank you so much for your time. We'll have to get you back on for a full episode to unpack it all in a little bit more detail, but also um, can't wait to catch up at FinFest and uh, hear how things have progressed since then. Maybe we'll be ripping through a bull market. Who knows? <laughs> 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 Let's hope so. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, Michael. Michael. Uh, always great to chat stocks. If you haven't picked up your FinFest ticket, equitymates.com slash FinFest, uh, but we'll pick it up next week. Sounds good. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Equity Mates. We love hearing from you. So drop us a line at contact at equitymates.com or even better, go to your podcast player and leave a five-star review. Also, a reminder that the Equity Mates content train doesn't stop when you've run out of episodes to binge. We've got a brand new website, a Facebook discussion group. We're on Instagram, YouTube, and slowly making our way as an influencer on TikTok. Well, that's Ren. So uh, come and say hello and join the community. We'd love to welcome you. Until next time. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. 
We pay our respects to the elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.